This is the relevant podcast. It's Friday, September 18th, 2020, and it's the relevant podcast. In Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Austin, Texas, author, podcaster, with a, a book coming out that we need to ask her about, uh, Jamie Ivey. Hey, guys. And from Nashville, Tennessee, artist, producer, mogul, Derek Miner. What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. We're looking at the video right now. And Jamie has on a beanie like it's snowing outside. It's, hey, white girl like, fall. White girl fall. <laughs> but it's like a thick beanie. I mean, it's one yeah. of those like really good thermal beanies. Well, Jamie. I wish it was fall. It's starting to get, it's like, you know, it's starting to get a little bit like fall in Texas. It's like Is 90 it? today. Okay, 90. There you go. Yeah. Are you, Jamie, are you one of those people that just will fall into existence? Like, it, even if the temperature doesn't change, it's like, I am dressed, I am, I'm busting out the flannels, yeah. doing the fire. I will, you know, like the, the boots, the pumpkin spice. Is it just, fall is coming no matter what the climate says. Right. For me, it's the fire. I mean, last week we had a cold front come through. I think it got down to like 60 in the morning and I wow. literally almost started a fire in our house. And then, you know, it was like, 90 Wait, do in you, the afternoon. Question, do you have a fireplace? Yes, I have a fireplace. Oh, okay. with real, you with just said real you just to start a fire in your house. So. <laughs> no, 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 we have like, a fireplace hey, with real wood. That's commitment. A fire in the house to me is the most like soothing, relaxing. I love a fire in the fireplace. I turn on the AC in Florida. Oh, yeah. And, and put the fire on in the winter. Like 100%. A, around Christmas what? time in particular. Yeah, yes. around Christmas time. It's in the 70s here. And it's just like, no, it's, it needs to look and feel cozy. And I put on the fireplace while I crank the AC down. Me too. Probably do it a couple times. 100% all the time. Dude, what is yeah. this? It's true. It's true. Guys, this is what, Derek, this is what white people do though. The oh, hey, listen, man. I didn't want to say it, bro. I really didn't want to say it, bro. But I'm like, yo, this this is this is a level of white people stuff that I ain't never really experienced, bro. Do you have a fireplace in your house, Derek? I do. It's a gas fireplace. I, kinda, okay. I wanted a wooden fireplace, but, you know, you can't have everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The wood, the wood. I, we have like a wood fireplace in our house, and I like because it adds an element of danger to the whole experience. <laughs> like, guys, there is a live fire in the house right now. It's, 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 you know, it is. Like I said, just that little element of danger makes it all the more cozy. Um, I, I'm feeling good. I feel like everyone's like in a really peppy mood today. Mm. I had a smoothie before, a homemade smoothie. Okay. And I feel is like that, it's really, is that your jolt of energy? Is that, I think yeah. it is. I think, right. I'm not a big fruit guy. I don't mind fruits, but I, I I typically like food that I have to unwrap from cellophane first. Like it just feels <laughs> feels safer to me than something that's like I honestly don't know when that was like on a tree in a field. Like if I'm walking through, you think opening a Twinkie is a better option than a piece of fruit that you got at the organic I stand. Didn't, I didn't say it's a better option. I'm just saying there's a psychological barrier <laughs> when I'm like, dude, I don't know when that apple was like on a tree. And if I'm like walking through the forest, there's yeah. nothing I'm just going to 
put directly into my mouth that I just found out in wilderness. Like, it, feels like, it feels like there should be some sort of official process for for food, especially fruit and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's why the great thing the great thing about making your own smoothies is because you use frozen fruit and and that is in you get it in the freezer section. And I pull that out of a bag and it's like, okay, this feels safe and official. <laughs> like this doesn't feel like something that I'm anybody could have just tossed in the back no of a sense. truck. No I'm sense. Anyway, anyway, I was like, dude, why isn't my why isn't my blender properly smoothing my fruit? Right? Like it was doing the whole thing. And right. and I looked at the dial and I was like, okay, I have it on smoothie. Like it clearly has smoothie on the dial. Right. And I was like, well, this isn't working. I'm gonna have to go over to frozen drink. Like, what do I uh, assume you would make like a daiquiri or something? Right. <laughs> but I'm just wondering, my blender, okay, it's just a regular blender. It has 14 settings, all right? But instead of just saying, instead of just saying like, you know, like a speedometer or something of like, hey, this is how fast the blade's gonna turn. Like if it's not, if it's not working at this level, turn it just, it, it seems very intuitive. Like they could just make it, but instead they decided to label all 14 speeds with a different food. And like, I started, look, I, this is, this is my morning. I was like, what? this is not an efficient system. Like if it, like, it's like the, uh, the thermostat, it doesn't have settings to be like, oh, this feels like a cool evening. Turn it here. <laughs> this feels like you want to be cozy in bed tonight. So you want to get, you want to yeah. sweat it out. You just wanted to say how high or how low it is. Exactly. I don't need examples of what that feels like. And I feel like the, I feel like the blender people just, they just need to be liberated like from, from associating something with every number on this dial because I guarantee you no one is making dressing in the blender. <laughs> Certainly not the same blender. Like, man, this, this margarita kind of tastes like ranch a little. Did you, did you mix up, did you make your own ranch dressing in this? I just feel like they're overthinking the whole thing. Like, it doesn't yeah. need a baby food and a soup setting. I, Again, I like, this seems like a thing. fancy blender. I have no idea when we acquired this blender. I think I think it was given to us as like a wedding gift. I've been oh, married so it is a fancy, it was, If it was a wedding gift, that, that's a good blender then. It's not right. like the Blendtec. It's not like those ones that that oh, guy okay. used to put like iPhones in on YouTube. We have a Vitamix and it can oh, blend up fancy. anything. Oh. Can I, all right, Jamie, let me ask you this about the Vitamix. That, that, she just flexed on you, Jesse. <laughs> she did. It's a big time blender flex. Um, we got it. We, we got refurbished, you guys. Do, do they have arbitrary foods next don't, to every number? You don't have number? to apologize for your blessing? Come on, though. Okay. Uh, no, it's just, you know, it's just the numbers. And then it, there's like a fast speed and a regular speed and then like one to 10 or something. Yeah, that's it, a professional. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You, it's like my speedometer doesn't say, oh, that's about as fast as like a dolphin can swim. <laughs> oh, you go down to cheetah level or quick squirrel. It's like, okay, just tell me the number. Like, I don't need you to tell me the difference between soup, nuts, and dressing. And I'm kind of concerned if you're putting smoothies and mixed drinks on the sa- in the same blender that you're making up baby food in. Yeah, it just, I like my Vitamix. You just turn it all the way up and it goes. That's, Ooh, yeah, that's I, that bother I, level right there. You know I, what I'm I never post personally on Instagram, but for some reason I did a couple months ago, and it was I saw somebody post about toasters, and it said that how old were you when you learned that the dial on a toaster, one through ten, is not the amount of toastiness, but it's how many minutes that the toaster will be on. That's true. Oh wow! Yeah, and I was like, my mind was blown, so I posted it. And and everybody was like, "What?" And then a few people were like, "That's not true." So I don't oh, know. Okay. I have no I idea. Was like I've never seen that. 
I have like one through seven on my toaster, so it makes sense to me. I thought yeah, it was like minutes. degree of toastiness, you know. Yeah. yeah. But anyway. Mm. We need to regulate the appliance dial industry. <laughs> hey, is is, is <laughs> it the you. question of the week or was that was last question of the week? <laughs> what do we need to regulate next? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The new laws. Need to re- appliance dials. Appliance yeah. dials need to have a formal regulation as to what is what because we get oh. confused when well, we you know. I mean, they do regulate it in other industries. Like Jesse said, the speedometer in a car. You know, yeah. Like each manufacturer doesn't make up his own speed designations, yeah, yeah, exa- right? Exactly. It's regulated. This is a speedometer. You're these going... Number- these yeah. numbers and foods are meaningless. Like, what kind of soup? Like, you got a soup setting. <laughs> we're we talking porridge? Do we, we want chunky soup? Do chowder? we want stew? What, yeah. where, where's the stew chowder thing? Where does that fall in? Is that baby food or is that soup? Okay? Because I'm tempted I'm tempted with this latest batch of clam chowder crank all, all the way to salad dressing. <laughs> and it seems like nuts is right in the middle, too, of the dial. Who's blending nuts? What, oh, you're making peanut butter. That's what they're doing. You're making some but kind no. of nut butter. But, but uh, it makes me think that they just arbitrarily put food there. Do people make homemade nut butters? Yeah, people do. Oh, but, but look, oh wow. I don't. That, that's, a, that's another, that's another, that's another white thing. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, bro, I'm going another, for all the work to make that much before. nut butter and it's $3 at the store. I'll just go buy it. I mean, <laughs> my time is more valuable than that. It, it's Listen, like, man, that's crazy. I had a buddy who who bought a bunch of chickens and he's like, you know, and and and, and, and bought a coop and all that oh. stuff, you know? And he uh I was like, dude, that seems like a, how much was the coop? And he's like, oh, you know, I had to get a nice one. You got to you got to really house them if they're stressed out chickens, not going to be good eggs. Then you got to have a nice and he's, I was like, why did you do this? He goes, dude, just think about all the money I'm going to eventually save on eggs. I'm like, dude, <laughs> eggs cost like a dime a piece. Like, I, it, it, it's going to take you 30 years to pay back. And, 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 and guys, a fox got his And backyard. all the work. Think about all the work and stuff. I know, but y'all, I have four kids and some of them make eggs every single morning for breakfast before school. Do you know how many eggs we go through at the Ivy household? I have a literally lot. seen a friend who had a chicken coop had his dog get into it and kill one of the chickens right in front of the kids. I mean, like, oh, hey, hey, my buddy woke up one morning and he said it was it was the most gruesome thing he's ever seen. It looked like someone had just gotten like seven feather pillows and just busted them all over his yard. <laughs> and and he was like, oh, my gosh. And he went and, and the only thing is he could determine as a fox got in it. Anyway, he's buying his eggs at the store again. Hey. And he's, got a chicken coop. <laughs> he's got his chicken coop that I don't think anyone will want because it was the scene of a horrific massacre of, of otherwise healthy chickens. The, uh, the, the reason why I started all that and mentioned Jamie's hat, her beanie, is that we've been recording the video of these podcasts. And y'all know, I mean, y'all know this because we send the videos to Clark every week. And uh-huh. so finally this week we were like, Hey, we're going to start doing, you know, clips and we're going to push them out on social. Right. Hey. So the thing about last <laughs> Tuesday's show, that was me the first one. Right. So one of the more memorable moments of the show was Jesse's fascination with the big hole in Eastern Europe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and we were all laughing at that. And so we're like, Oh, Clark and I'm like, Oh, let's do the Jesse hole clip. That's kind of like our debut video clip. Right. <laughs> it was eight and a half minutes long. <laughs> Jesse. <laughs> I mean, you look. are not a succinct storyteller, my friend. There's so. a lot to unpack with that story. And so at the end of the story, look. all we know is there's a big hole. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just, a whole, we don't know why or what's in it. I just told the, exactly. the whole story in 12 seconds. Yeah. Well, the 12 second version isn't that interesting or funny. When you start thinking. When you start, go, no pun intended. We start going deep on this. It's it's really that's where that's where the comedy lies. Like the comedy is is halfway down that hole, and I was willing to go down there and grab it out. Folks, that's why that's why we didn't have a video clip of last week's show. Is everything was too long, so we'll we'll try to do uh, shorter funny stuff on this week's show and. They deploy some uh, some videos. Well, I'm glad we spent on that note. I'm glad we spent 13 minutes on blender dials. <laughs> <laughs> I just want the public to be able to see Jamie dressed for winter when it's 90 degrees in Texas right now. So, <laughs> I Jamie, Jamie, I think it's awesome. Thank you. Are you a pumpkin spice person? No, I'm not a pumpkin spice. And here's why I put this beanie on. Let me tell you, is because right before we started recording, I was like. Oh, Cameron said eventually they're going to start putting these videos out and my hair mm-hmm. looked a wreck. And so I just threw oh, this beanie on and I, I feel like it. it looks a little bit more presentable. So there you go. I love it. There you go. Hey, we have a great show in store for you today. Coming up later, uh, one of our favorite indie bands, uh, King's Kaleidoscope, joins us. Uh, lead singer uh, Chad Gardner talks to us. Stay. So stay tuned for that. Okay. Stay tuned up next. It's the hot list. You're listening to Jack Garrett. The song is Get In My Way. Or don't. Just get out of my way. Today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. It's something preventing you from experiencing peace or achieving your goals. With the heaviness that's happening in our world right now, it can be difficult to find peace and purpose. And that's why there's BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You connect in a safe and private online environment. and You can start communicating in under 24 hours. You'll then get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions and you can send a message to your counselor anytime. To top it all off, uh, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. We want you to start living a happier life today. As a relevant podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com relevant. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash relevant. Okay, it's time for... It's the hot list, the hot list. It's sizzling. Please welcome to the show, Relevant Senior Editor Tyler Huckabee, who's uh, covering everything that's happening at the intersection of faith and culture. He's going to bring us kind of the top few items right now. Hey, Tyler. Hey, everybody. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Breaking news. We're going to regulate the appliance dial industry. That's, <laughs> well, yeah. the new, that's a new big cause. Yeah. We got we to bring some consistency across the spectrum here. It's I've an election year, Jesse. Reach out to your people. Reach out to your people. I, I will, because it's... Jesse's making... a hard libertarian, small government, until it comes to the appliance dial industry. Then he wants Big have... Brother to put their heavy hand on I will on not it. have arbitrary foods just screwed across my blender. Hey, that's freedom, man. Hey, don't impinge on the rights of that company to do what they want. You okay. have the right to not buy it. 
Okay. That's right. You got a vitamin. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Let, let me. Let, okay. But, okay. Uh, no. Number no. Number six. Number five. Nuts. Number six. Juice. Number eight. Dressing. Number number nine. Milkshake. Number ten. Coffee. And guess what? what I left out? What's right in the middle there? Sauce. Just arbitrary sauce. <laughs> They've lost their minds. <laughs> when, when, when you start not caring about the little things, the whole foundations of all this is just Jesse, crumbling again, down, guys. Your your libertarian ethic is not consistent, man. You don't want government to tell you what to do with your house, your yard, your land. You have the right to not buy that blender or put it on your gift registry when you, you get married. Are you grinding coffee in the blender? It makes zero sense. <laughs> yeah, you would use a well, coffee blender. Why, why are sauce and dressing two different things? I feel like dressing is like a sauce. Barbecue <laughs> sauce. It, thank you. It, but, but, but how is it's sauce, liquefying. How yeah. Is yeah. sauce texturally different than dressing? It should just be liquefying. Three, and why yeah. are they three spots yeah. on the dial different? Okay. <laughs> you tell me. It'd be one thing if it said sauce slash dressing, but it didn't. And they're like three numbers apart. <laughs> Stop this. Sauces and dressings? Sure. Okay, sure. Yeah. Oh, sevens for sauces and dressings. Why, why, don't, why is nuts and coffee between them? Do you, do you smell me that? What kind of sauces you make it? Sure. Boggles the mind. Okay. All right. Tyler's here. That wasn't on the hot list. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's a gimme. That's a little freebie. Uh, Starting off with some news that uh, it's both is and isn't surprising. I'm interested to see how surprised you are by this. But we have a new study from uh, from the friends over at Barna Group, Um, and uh, and they've they've noticed some some interesting news about over the over 2020. Obviously, uh, the there's been an unprecedented, truly unprecedented call for racial justice and equality in this country and around the world with more Americans than ever, and this is true, more Americans than ever saying they're motivated to address racial inequality in their communities. But there is one group who has been immune to this sea change, and it may not surprise you to learn that that group is practicing Christians. This new study from Barna found that among Christians who say they attend church at least once a month and highly prioritize faith in their own life, there is actually less interest in addressing racial justice than there was this time last year. Quite a bit less. 30% of practicing Christians say they are either unmotivated or not at all motivated to address racial justice in society. That is almost twice as much as the same time last year when 17% say they were unmotivated. Uh, David Kinnaman. He's president of Barna. He say Christians generally and practicing Christians in particular have changed their minds on addressing racial injustice. But if anything, they're actually moving away from being motivated. Um, you can dig into the numbers a little bit here. Probably also won't surprise you to learn that this is not true if you talk if talking just about black Christians. Uh, they are more motivated now this year to address racial injustice in their community than they were last year. 63% in 2019 versus 70% this year. But, uh, but in general, it, the report just showed some kind of troubling trends for talking about white Americans and practicing Christians in particular. They're moving the wrong way on all of this. In 2019, the survey found that 46% of all white Americans and 40% of self-identified Christians said the U S definitely has a race problem in 2020. 
Those numbers have gone down. 37% of all white adults and 33% of self-identified Christians say there's definitely a race problem. So for all of this, all the protests, all the research that's been done, and and honestly, all of the noise that's been made, it seems like in some ways it's driven some people to dig their heels in a little more on what they perceive to be a a non-issue or just a media bias. So one third... 33% of Christians Mm -hmm. say that there's definitely a race problem and 30% of Christians say they have no interest in addressing that problem. So it's like there's two. 33% said there's, said there is uh, definitely a race problem. Right. So you still have the majority. I mean, you know, this is, we're not talking about. No, no, it's a third on one side saying there is a problem. There's a third uh, on the other side now saying I don't care about the problem if there is one or there isn't one, right? There's that 30% you said. it is split up into about thirds across the board. Goodness uh, a gracious. A third of people are motivated or very motivated. A third are, are sort of ambivalent, somewhat motivated. And then you have the unmotivated and not at all motivated That's at crazy. the far end of the spectrum. But those numbers Christians. have changed a lot since last year. Yeah. So, so in the last year, racial tension gets to the forefront Injustice gets to the forefront and it doubled the amount of Christians saying, I don't care. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Unbelievable. Who, who That's so like, interesting. Hey, I got this lump under my, under my arm and I don't, I don't know. I, it, it, you know what? Last year that lump wasn't there, but I'm not going to go good buy out. <laughs> I care less about it this year. I care less year. about the <laughs> lump. <laughs> I care less about the lump. It, it doesn't matter. I, and it's, rare for, it's rare for David Kinnaman. He's the president who I quoted there. Uh, he, he spoke into this a little bit uh, just on social media. He usually refrains from editorializing the studies of the, uh, that happened over there at Barna. Um, he's pretty uh, he's a pretty just the facts guy. Uh, he said he was angry about this one. He said yeah. the, the results surprised and, and kind of infuriated him to see that this that this was happening. I think that's probably the case for uh, I mean that that's understandably so. But I I am curious what what's the level of surprise on this one here for you all? I I I feel surprised a little bit yeah. because of everyone that I know that I do life with. That's like a personal friend of mine. Yeah. This would be surprising to me because I can't think of one person that I like know in my real life, not a random person on Instagram who is not, um, who would not fall into that category that you said. But I'll tell you this. uh, My husband's a pastor. I just interviewed another pastor yesterday. I talked to Dr. Moore earlier in the year who's president at ERLC. Every pastor I know right now has told me that um, obviously 2020 has been hard because of COVID and everything that's happened, but they said they have, they're so worn down by the people in their church dealing with racial injustice and the things that they're saying and the things they're Mm. feeling. And so when you tell me that study and then I hear what I hear pastors that I know care about these things and are having to deal with church members who don't care, I'm like, maybe that's the study's right. You know, maybe our churches are full of people who actually don't care. As the as the black man that speaks for all of Black America, thank you, thank you so much, Derek. <laughs> we were, we're lucky to get you on this, on this podcast. I'm going to let you know that there is not one surprise at all. Period. Uh-huh. It's like, bro, you know yeah. what's, tr- what's troubling is that, <laughs> like, <clears throat> Jamie, like you, like I've seen a shift in the openness and the conversation and all that, and but at the same time. There's a segment of Christianity that we forget about that <clears throat> they feel persecuted 
these white evangelicals feel like culture and the world is against them. And their entire worldview is that we are being persecuted. And so like Derek, you shared on Instagram that clip of the news report from Salt Lake City. Oh of man. The, the rally <laughs> of protesting masks. Yes. And the lady said, like, well, my rights are being infringed. I don't want to wear a mask. You're making me wear a mask. They're protesting against it. Again, like they're being persecuted by having to wear masks. Yeah. That's the mindset that none of us can understand, but yeah. is very prevalent and a big chunk of evangelical culture. Like everybody's against us. Religious freedom is being taken away. You know, it started with prayer in schools. It started, you know, like the erosion, da, 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 and we got to batten down the hatches. And so I feel like when the conversation shifted to true persecution and true injustice this year, they're kind of going, but what about us? I don't care about mm. them. What about us? Who's going to mm. fight for us? You know what I'm saying? Mm. And I think there's, yeah. I think that's maybe the 30% jump is like people just going, I, you know, like I'm being persecuted too. Like that lady in the clip that you shared, you know, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. like what about me? I think it, maybe that's the attitude that we're missing out. And like, we're unaware of that because we don't socialize with people like that, you know, but it's yeah. like, I think that's a lot of people out there. Yeah. I feel like it, um, and I think that's the danger of trying to, I man, I could get into this really heavy, but like when we look at the Bible, it's a book that was written to a specific people for a specific time, for a specific reason. And we get to glean from that. But the problem when you carbon copy some of the things directly from that onto you without an understanding of the culture they were in and what you're in, you could start saying, hey, we're persecuted and this and that. And I, and I think people believe like, oh, because I'm a Christian, I'm going to be persecuted. And it's like, no, these people were in the Bible were actually being, actually persecuted. being persecuted. Like, yeah. Yeah. so that's the reason why there's conversation talking about in the middle of persecution, how to handle it, but not every Christian's going to be persecuted. Like I've, I think I shared last time I was on here, like I'm in Israel talking to two Palestinian, um, two Palestinian refugees. That's persecution where you're in your school and, and you get beat up at school for, for, for your faith when you, you get ostracized and you're not able to buy certain things or people won't let you wearing a mask is not persecution like that's not that's not that's not persecution but when that narrative has been ingested that being aligning with christ is going to automatically equal persecution for everybody that's just unequivocally not true like there's no way that that's true you're not going to be persecuted in america for being a christian like people telling you hey you're going to have to make a, a cake for a gay person that's not persecution like i don't care what you say it's just not persecution persecution is we're going to literally kill you for your faith that's persecution or we're going to ostracize you christians run everything here in america like white christian men yeah yeah, yeah. Run put that everything. in air quotes put yeah. that in air quotes but identifying white christian men run everything in this country like literally trump is a white christian male air quotes right yeah that runs the country like right. you're not persecuted when the president is the is a, reflects you yeah. you feel what i mean yeah, so, yeah well, it's, it's it's i don't know it's odd very and odd. i feel like you were saying this but persecutions are a big word to be throwing around about mask wearing like that doesn't really have anything to do with my faith 
Um, no. Even though I think some people are feeling that way, you know, and when they're saying that you you ha- you can't go to church, or then they're taking that on as we're being persecuted as Christians. But you're right, Derek. Being persecuted for your faith is like we're going to kill you. You must leave our country. You have yes. to go underground. You can't yes. own a Bible. Like yes. you can't speak the name of God. Those but are that, persecutions. But, but I think a lot of these people genuinely feel i mean the people who watch like the jim baker show and they're like building bunkers in the mountains like yeah. I f- and they're buying rations for the, the apocalypse i feel like they really feel like we're on a path toward what you just described jamie where like but, religious freedom is being taken by the extreme and it, like we need to say that and so like i feel like they feel lost in the shuffle right now where like the, you know, again, attention is and dialogue is being given toward true persecution and injustice in our society. And they're kind of going, but what about us? But what about us? And that's why they don't want to engage the racial justice issue. I think, you know, they, they want to be, you know, it'd be about them, you know, my, and like my, their freedoms. And my stuff. good friend propaganda said this, he said, equality is oppression when all you know is privilege. Like, oh, wow. so if, if that's, that's all great, you bro. know is yeah, privilege, yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. great. Yeah. With all you know is privilege, when people say, uh, you got to give some of that up so that everybody else can be able to have equality, you feel oppressed, right? And that's, I think I just, that for some I people, feel that's like what these, it is. these Christians aren't reading the. Sermon on well, the Mount. Yeah, but but I mean, just read the Sermon on the Mount. But what we're seeing is the the, the consequences of the toleration of garbage theology that mm. you know pushes prosperity, and mm-hmm. so every Christian believes they are then entitled to whatever they want because that's what they've been told. Mm-hmm. That look, hey man, you do your part. You, you know, God will bless you with whatever. And and we filtered the idea of blessing into monetary terms or material terms when, when the gospel was pretty clear that that's not what it's all about and, and two i think i think it's in in the very good gospel lisa sharon harper's book where she talks about you know the especially the old testament uh you know was written from the perspective of the oppressed right mm-hmm. like it was written from the perspective of uh you know the hebrew people who were enslaved and uh you know uh you know persecuted but we read it from the the perspective of the oppressor like mm-hmm. I mean, instead of that simple shift in perspective of how this story was originally told was like, hey, the, the, the people that were, were marginalized wrote this. This is their message, not, hey, you know, we, we read it from the perspective. I say we collectively uh, uh, as just kind of wealthy you know, on a global scale, wealthy. You know, we're we're more America's more like the Roman well, I mean, Empire. Jamie than it has is. a Vitamix. She's actually, <laughs> but but like we, you know, we we our our current situation looks a lot more like the Roman Empire than it does an oppressed, marginalized yeah. religious group. That's right. Yeah, and, and I think that perspective shift is really critical to understand, or, or just to, as kind of a wake up call to what you know why it's so problematic to not care about things like racial justice. Yeah. 
I mean, and if you look at it from the perspective of Jesus, who's teaching in the New Testament, um, I'm a I'm pro religious freedom in America. Like I think that that everyone should have the freedom to practice their own religion. But we don't see Jesus commanding his disciples and his followers, or even the early disciples, after go fight for your religious freedom. Like do whatever you can to get your freedom. They're like go fight for people. Go fight for mm-hmm. the people in, who are in poverty. Go fight for the widows. Go fight for the orphans. Go fight for salvation of people. That's what Jesus is commanding us to do. And so I think that also is getting a little lost because when you look at these people, Cameron, you're talking about the people who are like building bunkers and stuff. I don't want to make a broad assumption by any means, but I would like to know who they're caring for. Like, how are they caring for the people in their community around them other than bringing them into their bunker and giving them, well, I, I should stop. Buckets. Buckets, Buckets dehydrated of baker ghoul. Yeah, <laughs> that's hey listen listen neighbors come on down to the bunker uh pick a vat and just get a couple oh scoops of gosh. any kind of gruel in there i put it in a blender on the salad dressing <laughs> setting and the consistency right now i'm not gonna lie everything about it is terrible Very but I've, i'm heavily invested in these vats yeah. <laughs> all right what else do you have tyler uh we have some better news uh that, that, that was not a good one, but this is. But I did. I do like this story. And Jesse, I know you and I have talked about this sort of. Uh, I, guess, I think we can call it a little bit of a trend among churches at this point, an activism trend that has actually done a lot of good. And it involves a church in Chicago called Vive, Vive Chicago, and uh, they have partnered with that terrific nonprofit called RIP Medical Debt uh, in order to transform. Uh, they took one hundred thousand dollars in donations they received and used it to pay off nineteen million dollars in medical debt in Chicago. Now, uh, this is something that a couple of churches have done after RIP Medical Debt appeared on John Oliver's show, uh, I think it was two years ago, uh, talking about how this organization, this nonprofit, is able to buy medical debt the way a lot of loan sharks do, but instead of using it for predatory purposes, they then foster it, give it out to these nonprofits that are able to use donations to pay people's debt off for pennies on the dollar, just because so, it's a good thing to do. For the listeners, who maybe don't know about this industry, there's this whole... So when you go to the hospital or the doctor and you rack, you get a surgery and you rack up like a $40,000 debt, right? The hospital is going to try and get you to pay. Eventually, payment plan, whatever. If you default on that, the hospital basically determines we're not going to get our $40,000 from this person. So what they'll do, they try to get whatever they can and they'll sell your debt in the second market. So they'll try and get like... They'll sell your $40,000 debt to somebody mm-hmm. for $5,000. Mm-hmm. And so the hospital got $5,000. They write off the other thirty five dollars as a loss and they move forward. Now that person bought your debt for five grand and that's a collections agency and they're going to come after you and they're going to come after you for the full 40 plus, plus, plus. And that's where your harassment comes in. And a lot of that collections abuse comes in. It's from these people who bought the debt, right? So what they're doing in Chicago is buying the debt instead of from the loan sharks, the, they're buying the debt and then forgiving it. Which is insane. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, the, I, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah that, that's the that, that's the nuts and bolts point. And they use it. They're using the exact same tricks that a lot of these uh, more unethical, predatory companies do uh, get for for good instead of for evil. Because it's very easy to stretch your donation dollar a long ways exponentially when you partner with a company like RIP Medical Debt. In this case, uh, Vive Chicago's goal is to wipe out medical debt in Cook County. That I would love take this so years. much. Oh, oh my amazing. gosh! So yes. 
78 that would be 78 on, million church. dollars worth of debt and they're actually on their way they're getting like the goal is to do it by December they're about 75% of the way oh my there gosh. Uh, so there there is a link That's to, if you want to be a part of it you can uh, you can go over to relevantmagazine.com we've got a link to it and by donating just a couple of bucks uh, actually is going to go a lot further for something like this than it would be if you were just to give it to I'm not you know don- donate to whatever you want to donate to but this is a great way to smartly use your money especially yeah. if like a lot of us yeah. right now things are a little tight given the state of the economy right. but the lead pastor over there he's a guy named Adam Smallcomb he told the Christian Post quote as the church and as Christians our mandate is to liberate people from all kinds of oppression because only free people can truly free people mm. that's why we felt as leaders it was necessary to bring this initiative to our church and they responded with bold faith and generosity so a really cool organization I love hearing these stories we've covered a few of them uh, yeah. other churches have done this in Ohio and Kansas Florida over in Texas uh, and it's been really I would love to see this become a, a growing trend among churches because it's a great way for churches to leverage local communities with limited resources and explode those resources mathematically to make a much bigger impact than they would have made alone it's a cool story can you love imagine it. though like if you're like an elderly person who had a life-saving surgery and now all of a sudden you have $250,000 of debt, medical debt. And a church came in and swooped that up for probably a few thousand dollars and paid it off. You're free and clear. That weight, that's Mm -hmm. life-changing. That weight coming off of you, that is the church being the church. And that's Christians. You don't need to use air quotes when you talk about them. Right. Because that, <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. Thing to do. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. I love stories like this. And, and good on uh, everybody there at Vive Chicago. That's a, It's cool to see. It's cool to see a dream big. And it's cool to see those dreams uh, have an actual impact. I'll keep following the goal, the, the thermometer of that goal and see how close you can get. But I, I've got faith and we'll be praying for you and hopefully send a few more donations your way over there. And, and I haven't seen... A, you know, I know we kind of talked about a, a, a story, rightfully so, kind of exposing something very negative in the church. Uh, but and, and, and I don't know, you know, this is somewhat an anecdotal observation, but it does seem like there's a lot more uh, large churches concerning themselves with being problem solvers for people in their local communities yeah. where it's yeah. like, you know, growing up and I'm not throwing shade at my old church. I mean, they had like a missions department uh, uh, area that, you know, like there was like the 10, remember the 1040 window? I, right. Maybe that's the whole thing in missions, you know, it was like a map of the world with like this cube cut out between the navigation lines where they felt like were areas of the world that didn't hear the gospel. But aside from that, right, like most of the, most of the resources seem like it was like, hey, another men's group outing at the golf course or whatever, you know, and it's like now it seems like, man, there it does seem like you read more and more stories about churches that have really kind of thought carefully, not just about how to help, uh, you know, communities around the world, but how to help the people in their own backyard that they, you know, will probably, you know, run into from time to time. Like, I think it's really encouraging. We do need to mention that, like a lot of the liturgical denominations, Catholic charities, Lutheran, uh, have been doing this work in the community for a long time. Yeah. You know, helping mm-hmm. the poor and <laughs> thousands yeah. of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. but this is a fairly new a new phenomenon for the kind of evangelical megachurch, you know, suburban kind of world. You know who's one of the ones that I love is Saddleback, Rick Warren out in California. They have like auto repair shop on the church property. They'll do your mm. they'll take care of your car for free. Wow. They have stuff for mothers, they have stuff for addicts. They have I mean they just they are involved. I love I love what they're doing out there. Plus, they do the global stuff too. But they're setting a model for like these megachurches to reinvest their resources into their community and help the people who need it. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. And as Love problems it. get more complicated uh, here, because they do, uh, you know, just given the the globalization and, and how more, much more complicated ec- economics is than it used to be, uh, the church needs to catch up in its own vision of justice. And this is one really cool way to do that, to expand yep. that. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, last story today. This one's kind of interesting. This came up a few days ago. And the, the take, this is going to take a little bit of uh, a, a little bit of room to dissect. We're going to talk about the Oscars a little bit. So last week, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, uh, obviously, if you watch the Oscars at all, you know about once a year, uh, they get in a lot of hot water because when they announce the nominees, they're they're overwhelmingly white, uh, white, overwhelmingly male. Oscars so white, so attached. It's like Christmas. It just, it just comes. It just happens. And they bring it on, the, and they bring it on themselves. They do. It's not, yeah. I'm not saying these aren't woke scolds. There are people that are there are incredible talents who have been overlooked by the oscars over and over and it seems to disproportionately affect uh, filmmakers and actors of color there in the oscars and when you look at some of the breakdown of how many people have won how many black people asian people pacific islanders have won uh, an oscar it gets pretty embarrassing for the oscars so they're gonna try to do something about this they announced some new rules around the best picture category and it's a little bit complicated, so let me try to explain it. There's a new litany of criteria that would-be Best Picture contenders have to meet. They don't have to meet all of these. these, All of these criteria are sorted into four kind of baskets, and they have to be able to check at least two of the four baskets. So the criteria will be something like uh, you have to include at least one person from a racial minority in a lead or significant supporting actor role. Uh, Women, LGBT, Q plus members, members of racial or ethnic groups, people with cognitive and physical disabilities uh, might be required for 30% of the crew, for example. Uh, a storyline has to be focused on an underrepresented group like women or racial minorities, uh, diversity among the department leads or paid internships or marketing or distribution, distribution. That could be a requirement. So there's all these different criteria and they have to check 50% of the boxes if they want to be considered a contender for best picture. Okay, does that make sense? You can see more yeah. of a visual breakdown of how this all works. Over Sounds the like site, persecution but- to me. Well, and too the the and Tyler, I'm sure you know. I'm sure you're you know that's an element of the story is like when you kind of break down. I saw different takes on this, but when you really kind of break down the nuance of it, you know, it it, because the requirements are spread out over so many categories, you know, from a viewing experience, it probably you know there there's a likelihood that it won't change a whole lot because if if a film with any sort of reasonable size it, you know doesn't have the the minimum diversity requirements required uh you know by these new oscar standards it'd be pretty surprising like there are movies like let's say you know the example i keep seeing thrown being thrown around is like 1917 which is a a, a depiction of you know it's like one day in, during the course of, of a certain battle in world war one and because of like the historical context and, and the location the most of the cast uh, especially the main cast are, are, are white um, you know but that all that means is you know behind the scenes on the on these different um, you know parts of the filmmaking process all the way from production to marketing that you know there is some diversity represented among the people kind of working behind the scenes of, on the film if if that diversity isn't displayed on screen I think that's kind of the element of nuance that uh, you know people who have been 
criticizing this, you know, may not recognize is, is there is, is some nuance here. And, and so it's getting criticized like the, the, I mean, just among the, the same, you know, the, yeah. the, 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 the same people who want to be who, mad. Yeah, exactly. People who find things to be angry about. So um, all of Twitter. <laughs> no, well, yeah, not Facebook. Actually, this was more the, uh, the Facebook crowds. More, the I made the mistake yeah. of going on Twitter the other day. I haven't been on in a year. <laughs> oh my goodness! It was like uh, an innocuous tweet that Tyler sent me. Like, hey, maybe we should post this. And I was like, oh, I clicked it. You know, whatever. And then I just happened to start reading underneath it, not replies, but just other kind of related posts. I just can't believe it's such a toxic waste dump. Like who wants to spend time on Twitter? Anyway, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> it is a, <laughs> no, you're right. And like, and it, it made was, me like, a lot I, of I felt different after reading yeah. Twitter for five minutes. <laughs> like it affected me. Like I don't Fast. need that negativity in my life. In fact, you got to stay away. Stay Come away. Stay off it. Stay off it. <laughs> I, uh, Jesse, you did get ahead of me a little bit, but you're right. No, I'm sorry. There, is, there were a, no, not at all. You're, you're, it's a good anecdotal point. Uh, there were people who were upset about this and talked about, well, what about my favorite movie, the tree of life, which is obviously an all white cast. Uh, but then somebody, uh, and I believe he's a reporter from the LA times went through the last 10 years of best picture contenders. Almost all of them would still be in given just how kind of general these rules are. And if, as long as your studio has a fairly robust, let's say internship program that maybe has some diversity in it, you can you can find a way to skate by on a lot of these rules and a lot of these places already have so it's a good splashy announcement for a place like the academy that has weathered a lot of justified criticism about a lack of racial gender diversity over the last few years but in terms of the actual sea change that it wants to us to think this is going to be eh, probably not going to make the probably not this is probably not going to be the thing that really turns the dial on that it's certainly not going to be as exclusionary as some of the fear mongers out there are saying yeah. this is going to be so yeah. as the representative for all black people um, <laughs> that's going to be your new intro <laughs> <laughs> and representing all black people in America Derek <laughs> just going to put this out here um, yeah I, I don't know this ain't it I mean I'm not saying that I'm like well I'm not the, the thing is I here's what I it, you know the, the, the optimist in me thinks that I'm like okay this could be cool in the sense that maybe there's some movies that were like you know what we're going to hire any black people but man we want to get this Oscar so let's hire some black folks but I, I don't think that that's what people want I know for me I, I'm not necessarily yeah. saying that's not I, that's not what I want I'm like I just want a movie that's amazing that might have a black cast that's not culturally white that people would say oh let's consider this for that you know what right. I mean like I think yeah. that's the stories. issue it's like yes like like yeah. hopefully they'll be more diverse but I'm like, let's not sprinkle some black people on a white movie. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, like let's not. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that and that's what happens with diversity. It's like, okay, you know, you have these all white churches, and they're like, freak. We want some black people. Hey, let's make this. Get this black kid over here. We'll make him the youth pastor, and then now we can say we're a diverse church. Like that doesn't. That's not it. What we're. I think what most people are saying is like, yo black culture what winds up happening oftentimes is is white people with a lot of money borrow from amazing black ideas fund them on a massive level and then they get all the love it's like no how about fund the amazing black idea as opposed to you know what i mean Mm -hmm. I, i don't know and one thing i know about people that one thing I've experienced if there's a if there's a will there's a way and if people want to get around 
those diversity inclusions, they'll do it. You know what I mean? I don't, sure. I don't see that happening. But, but just so, to point yeah. to, to your point about, you know, empowering more, uh, you know, young black filmmakers to, to tell stories themselves. You know, I mean, you, you don't need to look very far to find examples of, of, of that that have been incredibly successful. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at the career of like someone like Jordan Peele, who has, you know, essentially mm-hmm. redefined the horror genre and, you know, his, his, you know, the get out obviously dealt directly with with ideas about race but us was you know there's there's a lot of implications and symbolism in that movie but the 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 primary characters happen to be a black family Mm -hmm. and because that's the lens he wanted to tell the story from but he's an example of a filmmaker who's telling his own stories he wants to tell them through a perspective that he's really thought through and and they're incredible films and and like it it shows like when you when you're able to empower young diverse filmmakers to actually make the films they want they can do you know there's some incredible stories out there that that can be told or ryan coogler like ryan coogler is 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 a monster it's like there's it can't and and i think that's the thing with myself i've experienced this is i don't want to be the exception to the rule Cause you know, sometimes uh-huh. I feel like I'm the lucky one that got you know call, my number got called up, and it's like, all right, we're gonna get you out the hood, buddy. Come on, <laughs> like it's like nah, like I some of my friends are some of the most brilliant people in the world, and it just sucks that it feels like black people in any art, it's like we're like Highlander. There can be only one. You know what I'm saying? And it's like yeah. it's just one of us. Yeah. Like we can get one. You know, I think we got to do better like this doesn't really it's just like what I say with people are like yo Christian rap people some of these people are racist and woo, 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 woo. I'm like nah the issue is the church it's not Christian rap it's not Christian music it's the church is struggling with this race issue and it's gonna spill over into every aspect of everything else I think maybe an example of what you're talking about, a positive example of what you'd be talking about is uh, is Plan B Productions, which is Brad Pitt's production company. Mm. Uh, Brad Pitt's behind it. You wouldn't know. He doesn't uh, he doesn't advertise it a whole lot, but he throws Brad Pitt money at black created, black owned projects. And mm. he's a, and it lets them stand on their own. Last black man in San Francisco. Beale Street could talk. Akja, uh, mm. Moonlight, Selma, 12 Years a Slave. He was behind getting the these things, these movies the money that they needed that if he hadn't been there who knows you know the Facts. movies like these Facts. can yeah. struggle financially if they don't have because they but, get so okay, worried I, in Hollywood cool. I have a question then I have a question because there's something that I've seen in this in this this year especially I think is great about black ownership mm-hmm. and 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 we need to own our messages our media our culture and here there's these black films being funded by a white guy who's going to reap the profits from those films. So is that truly change or is that just a white, white power structure profiting from black culture still? Yeah, that's, that's both my pay grade. That's, that's a, that's a good question. So I, this is the, this is the thing. Um, at some level, it's, it's going to be almost impossible to expect a group of people that only own 1.5% of the wealth in America to be able to fund motion pictures on a level at that level. So if, if someone like a Brad Pitt says, I'm going to leverage my resources 
to help out, help tell stories that you guys want to tell and invest in that. I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think the black ownership conversation is not a now conversation in a sense of not saying black people shouldn't start owning things now, but I think as it's, it's a thing that has to be scaled into, right? It's a, like, I think the deal, like, I wonder what Jordan Peele's deal is with uh, Bloomhouse, right? Yeah. <laughs> are they giving him more ownership or are they just, with plan B, is is Brad Pitt looking to scale ownership in and, and is he open to the idea of right. people contributing in a way? Like, But I don't think just the idea just being able to say all right guys fund it all on your own i mean we only own 1.5 percent of the wealth in the country so it's it's only so much you can do when these movies are million dollar movies i I saw this come up on instagram the other day because jameel hill posted an article um uh, from vlad tv uh about the instagram account daquan who oh my goodness got sold among other things got sold to a media company for 85 million (laughs) dollars and when the sale went through it came out and she posted this that the owner of the daquan account was not a black guy it's some uh, it's a palestinian kid you know or or middle east kid and and so then it was a whole thing she went off on this whole thing about misrepresentation and all this stuff and you know co-opting black culture then it comes to find out that a few years ago daquan who actually is a black canadian kid sold his account to this other guy but kept an ownership stake so he partnered Mm. with them so he is a co-owner of the account and then this other guy's running more of the business side and then Upsold it to eighty five million, and so the original kid is got a stake. He said, "I've got skin in the game." Like he reached out to Jamil, going, "Actually, you have the story wrong here." Like, mm. yeah, I'm not the sole owner, but I'm yeah. part of it still. Right, and like that's kind of what you're talking about, Derek. Yes. Where like you have skin in the game, but you're also elevating with other resources, elevating the impact and reach of what you're doing. Yeah, as a I business. Think, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jamie. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say when, with this thing with Brad Pitt, it reminds me of the conversation of when the NBA players were opting out of the games and everyone's mm-hmm. like, oh, just play the game like your thing. But they're using the power that they have. They're mm-hmm. using the voice that they have and they're using the influence that they have to make a difference. And people were listening. And so I feel like I love it when I see people who have power, influence, voice, money, whatever it might be use that to make a difference like that like when you talk about Brad Pitt he could easily just not do anything but yet he's acknowledging I'm a white man in the industry world I have power that some people don't have and so he's leveraging that for other people I think that's a great thing I think that is a good thing to see people leveraging what they have even though there's a thousand conversations about why they have it how they got it all those things but he has it. That's not up for debate, right? Like he has the money and the power in Hollywood and he's leveraging it for someone else's good. I appreciate seeing that. Yeah, yeah. same, same. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I, I could just speak for myself in the sense of, I, I don't think <clears throat> what black people are asking for is, hey, give us a bunch of um, outwardly looking things that make us look equal or or give us something that's unfair because we're black. What I'm saying, well, I think what most people are saying is, hey, Stop screwing us out of our our royalties. Stop taking it. Top, stop taking advantage of us in deals. Like shot. Like if the the Quan story. That's that's how you do it, right? So the Quan was just a kid with an IG account. 
got a business partner. They upsold it. Daquan still had, he didn't try to squeeze the kid out of the deal. And that's what kind of happens. And some of that is just because, unfortunately, we, you know, doing business without education is really, really hard, right? Mm. So as we are becoming more educated, that's why the black ownership conversation is happening. It's not as much as it is for white people as it is for black people that educated black people are telling other black people, hey, don't don't sell everything mm-hmm. right now. Like It's like, yo, if you got a crazy idea, partner with someone and know your worth and know your value. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. kind of less about okay, white people, you're going to give us ownership right now. It's like, nah, Daquan, keep a little bit of that that ownership. So when he sells it for 85 million, you know, you're going to get a cut of that. And I think that that's what's being communicated. Good. All right. Yeah. Well, that's it for the hot list. There's a lot more going on at the site. Check out relevantmagazine.com every day. The all new relevantmagazine.com. We are, we launched a new site a week or so ago and keep adding new features to it. Keep making it faster. <laughs> Keep working on that thing. But uh, go check it out. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, guys. All right. Stay tuned. Up next, King's Kaleidoscope joins us. You're listening to Mr. Wives. The song is Ghost. Well, today's episode is brought to you by podcast creation platform, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There are custom tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and every major platform. The cool thing is you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Well, King's Kaleidoscope is one of our favorite indie bands. They are based in Seattle, Washington. And, you know, it's not been a normal year for the music industry. And while COVID has changed their plans for this year, they're still focusing on making music and building what's next. Uh, lead singer Chad Gardner sat down with our very own Tyler Huckabee to talk about music, current events, and what's coming up next for King's Classical. Here's that conversation. what you've been writing about in quarantine there's i I take you as more of a internal songwriter uh but with so much going on out there right now i'm curious if you're getting a little more external in your writing that's a really good point i'm very externally motivated but i write very internal so that's actually interesting you're asking that question because when the lockdown originally happened I was writing you know a lot more personal songs and I had kind of gone through a season um last year where 
just through therapy and, and a lot of stuff, I was thinking about how much I needed to slow down and how much my extended community in the world I saw was like, I'm going to write something to help people slow down. And then we all had to slow down. <laughs> the world lit on fire. And I came out of it. Like, I came out of it with like probably one or two songs that I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to release these songs. They're, they're, they're like in that realm. But, but I came out of it going, uh, well, I think I need to write a different record now. Um, so, um, I'm trying to think about how many, you know, how much I want to give away here, but we, we do have a handful of songs that are very externally, um, I would just say inspired just about what's going on, what's going on socially and politically and just how the church is interacting with it and the disappointment there. And, um, you know, I, I write songs by by having conversations with other writers, and we write them together. I'm, I'm super big into collaboration, and so there's a handful of those, and that is what we're trying to wrap and drop next month. But um, further down the road, you know, the next album album is uh, is going to be a lot of stories um, more around the guys in the band, which I'm really excited about. So I guess in both ways for this project coming up from Camp Classic next next month and further down the road. I guess I am kind of, you know, transitioning to kind of being more externally inspired right now. I've been starving in the garden, hiding garbage in my heart. Is it too late? Too late. I've been covering my options. I've been covering my conscience. Does that make you nervous? It does. Because, uh, you know, I think, I think, I, I don't know. Some people do have, have some people it is, it is pretty vulnerable and hard to talk about themselves, but I also kind of push back on that a little bit. I think we've gotten pretty comfortable talking about ourselves. Like literally last night, somebody brought us dinner, you know, cause we got this newborn we're sitting on our back deck and I was just asked, I asked the question like, do you think our parents ever sat around just talking about their personality types and what they're learning? Like, and it's like no way like no way they would that's that wasn't a thing and um i think i'm comfortable writing songs about my own you know wrestle with god or this this own like joy that i have with him or whatever but it it is scarier for me because i haven't you know worked that muscle in writing to write about somebody else's thing or just generally a bigger idea that is outside of myself so it's a big challenge for sure Struck out on my quest Turned around and took two steps Backwards Heart out of my chest Serving my emotion led Backwards Lucky, lucky me, I said Bitter never breaking bread I think when writing about these extremely challenging topics, you feel a pressure just to get it right. Uh, I think it's a fear that we all feel, but you're doing this for a huge platform. Is that hard for you? My craft is is artistry and emotion. So when, when, when I see the George Floyd video and I'm going on my run that night and I'm literally crying, you know, um, or Ahmaud Arbery, same thing. Like it's, I'm taking that emotion back and creating with it. And so to criticize that sort of like human expression of sorrow and like brokenness just feels so funny to me. It's like, wait a second. So now you're mad because I chose to go 
march about something that that seems so broken and just it's so obvious to me like why why, why would you criticize my choice to do that this is like it it, it uh it broke me and, and you want me to be an artist and tell you about what's what when i'm happy when i'm sad i'm telling you right now you know talking about some extraordinarily uh, heavy topics. How does that make you feel? Does it make it harder to create when you're writing about such somber issues? I would say that there's a weight on, I I definitely feel like a a heavier weight to say something. um, Yeah. That's, that's just more poignant and focused and sharper and um but there is joy in the community so like when i get to see my guys and it's been you know a month and a half of us like not getting to see each other there's joy in that side of the creation but we also know that it's it's probably you know one of the more serious projects that we're going to that we're going to have out and and just yeah the the art itself uh, just needs to have a little more gravity um, and I think that that's fitting I think we should feel that pressure a little bit was king's kaleidoscope make sure to check out their current album zeal wherever you get your music at baylor university's truett seminary kingdom-minded women and men are equipped to follow their callings Wholeheartedly committed to rigorous academic instruction and intentional spiritual formation, Truett offers degree programs that will prepare you for pastoral ministry, chaplaincy, worship and arts ministry, missions, sports ministry, doctoral work, and more. Wherever your calling may take you, Truett Seminary will help to prepare you for the journey. Learn more at baylor.edu slash Listening to Cautious Clay. The song is agreeable. Well, we just want to thank King's Kaleidoscope for joining us again. You can uh, check out their new album or their current album, Zeal, where we get your music and follow them on Instagram at King's Kaleidoscope. Now, for those of you who can't spell kaleidoscope, there's an O in the middle. Just King's Kaleidoscope. There you go. Hey, I uh, want to mention something. 
In the la- last week or so, we've launched quietly an all new relevant magazine.com. Uh, we've updated the look. Uh, there's a totally new behind the scenes going on. And what's cool about it is not only is the site every day, we're working on it, we're getting it faster, we're adding new features, we're fine tuning, and we're rolling out some big new stuff here in the coming days and weeks new sections, new newsletters, a lot of new things happening at relevantmagazine.com. Go check it out. It's all new. Hey, and while you're there, check out the all new era of relevant magazine. Uh, We've published our print mag for 17 years and got known for our long form content profiles and think pieces. And we've brought it back in an all new way. You can check out the September, October issue there at relevantmagazine.com. It features Maverick city music, the Avett brothers, Jordan Lee Dooley, a bunch of other great content. And we'll be publishing bi-monthly new issues at relevantmagazine.com. And then once a year, we will be compiling those magazines into a big print edition, an annual edition. We're kind of trying to rethink the model here with what a magazine is moving forward. But go check out the September issue of Relevant. It's available now at relevantmagazine.com. On that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. I'm Derek Miner. We'll see you on Tuesday. Have a good weekend, everyone. listening to the relevant podcast check out our features interviews and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com and make sure to follow relevant on twitter facebook and instagram for the latest for more great podcasts check out our relevant podcast network featuring shows like relevant daily signs of life unedited and many more launching throughout the year These numbers and foods are meaningless. Like, what kind of soup? Relevant Podcast Network.